this week on the Digital Dust Podcast. Oh, wait, it's just Liz. <laughs> you know what? Medieval Christmas traditions are pretty interesting. They're pretty cool. Hello, everyone, and welcome back to the Digital Dust Podcast. I'm Liz. Oh, wait, it's just Liz. <laughs> Hi, um, this is probably like the weirdest thing we've ever done on this podcast. Uh, I'm flying solo today, folks. Uh, it feels very strange. I keep thinking that this is just going to be a huge flop and we're not going to have an episode, but I'm trying to push through it and hopefully you enjoy it. Um, so I'll tell you what's going on. So... As you know, it's the holidays, and it's a very busy season for everyone, uh, including us. And everyone uh, else, so Katie, Robin, and Patrick, all found themselves... Well, actually, Patrick's okay, but Katie and Robin are... Um, obviously, Katie is still settling into living in an entirely different country. And Robin is finishing up her exams for teacher's college and definitely needs a well-deserved break. Uh, so I told Pat, I said, hey, why don't you just chillax? Because it might be a little strange if just two of us have a random conversation. Why don't we try doing a solo episode? And maybe if you guys like this, we could actually like do these kind of random little specialty episodes where we just come on and talk about some of our favorite topics or I don't know, like it's almost like a vlog, but a podcast. So if you're into the vlog cast, let us know on our social media or send us an email. All that is in the show notes below. But let me get into what we're going to be talking about today. Again, like I said, if you're listening when this episode goes live, it's the holidays. So happy holidays, no matter what you celebrate. Uh, I hope that you are having a wonderful season so far. I know right now uh, things are getting really scary in the world with um, kind of a fifth wave of COVID and things are looking a little bleak and I'm right there with you. I'm also scared and anxious and I'm really just trying to focus on the good things and be grateful for what I have and make the best out of it. I don't want this to ruin my Christmas and you shouldn't either. So <laughs> getting into it, um, to kind of escape from this COVID anxiety um, during the holidays, what I decided to talk about is how to celebrate Christmas like a medieval peasant. I thought, what's the exact opposite of what Christmas this year or in any modern time is like? And you know what? Medieval Christmas traditions are pretty interesting. They're pretty cool. And you know me, I love paganism. I practice paganism. And so being able to kind of delve into common uh, Christmas, um, I don't know, symbols and practices and traditions and how they're pagan and also just how they've evolved over the years, that's totally up my alley. So that's what I'm going to get into today. Celebrating the holidays like a medieval peasant. I'm someone who, um, as much as I love the Christmas season and like leading up to it, 
uh, I'm, it's not my favorite holiday. Actually, Thanksgiving is my favorite holiday because it's not about money. It's not about gifts, not about anything. It's not like drawn out into this whole month of just craziness and consumerism. It's just about eating good food and being with the ones you love. And for me, that is as ideal as it gets. And that's what I love about celebrating Christmas too. I like Christmas because we get to spend time with our family and just have time off and again, eat really good food. Um, and you know, if you're me, you get to stress bake a lot, which is also great. Um, but yeah, it's not my favorite, uh, not gonna lie. And maybe some of you guys out there are the same way. So I thought, <laughs> um, looking into how other people in, uh, throughout history have celebrated Christmas, um, might kind of, uh, you know, make me a little bit more passionate about it or, you know, a little bit more excited. So let's dive in. I feel like I've been talking about it long enough, so... Alright, so specifically we're going to be talking about medieval Europe. Uh, medieval Europe is around the 5th century common era to 1500 common era. So we're talking a couple hundred years. Um, and in the Middle Ages, the holidays began uh, in earnest before dawn on Christmas morning. So uh, compared to today, um, you were working, working away all the way up until Christmas. Although if you're me this year, this is my first year not being in school during the holidays. And so it's my first year working a corporate job where I have to work all the way up until Christmas Eve. So now I know what this feels like. Some of you hopefully do. If you don't know what that feels like yet, please appreciate it while it lasts. But the Middle Ages. So you were working all the way up. Uh, if you were peasant, you were working for a lord on his land, doing all sorts of different agricultural things um, and making sure basically that the entire, um, the lord and all of his property and everything that he runs is maintained. So uh, in the Middle Ages, the holiday didn't really begin until Christmas morning. There was a special Christmas mass uh, that signaled the official end of Advent. So Advent is the kind of month leading up until Christmas. Um, and Advent was actually similar to how Lent is in the springtime, where you would, um, where you would kind of uh, avoid eating rich foods and indulging and eat kind of very simply live very simply again not an overly boisterous or extravagant lifestyle even though you're not really living that way as a peasant anyway um but even the lords and the people of higher class would also practice this throughout advent and then on christmas day december 25th advent came to an end um and then this began the feasting season and you would feast every single day pretty much all day from christmas day all the way until january 5th which honestly is pretty much what I do now anyway. A lot of treats, <laughs> a lot of great things to be eating. Um, and so that's what you would do. I mean, it's also, again, it's uh, the midwinter. It's the longest time of the year, right after the winter solstice and you're a peasant and there's no TV. Uh, so what else are you gonna do? And you can't read cause you're a peasant, right? So like literally what else are you gonna do except eat? <laughs> uh, so in the countryside, wealthy lords of the manors and the, um, who owned all this property were also expected to give their tenant farmers at least 12 days off from their labor. 
um, and also to serve them a festive meal or a feast. Um, so this is what uh, the 12 days of Christmas comes from. Um, it's hard to know exactly what was on the menu, um, but there actually was a text written in 1393. Um, and the author outlines that the required courses for a special feast um, began with uh, pasties, <laughs> sausages, and black pudding. Oh, it's so British. Oh my goodness. Uh, and then four courses of fish, fowl, so chicken, turkey, um, Oh, they, pff, duh, they didn't have turkeys in England. Chicken um, and pheasant, things like that. Um, and then roast meat, so that's like your beef and your pork. And then a final course of custards, tarts, nuts, and sweet meats. It sounds all very rich and indulgent. So medieval royalty would also um, do a similar kind of Christmas feast. Um, but to a different level. So apparently in 1226, um, at the Reading Abbey, King Henry III ordered 40 salmon, heaps of venison and boar meat, and as many lampreys as possible. I don't know if you've ever seen a lamprey before. If you haven't, I would highly suggest Googling a picture. These things are terrifying. They're like a, like they're like um a wormy fish with like a big suction cup mouth with like rows and rows of teeth it's awful we have them here in Ontario they're invasive um I I've never eaten one I didn't even know you could eat them I don't really think they'd be that good to eat but I guess King Henry III loved them and King Henry V who ruled in the early 1400s uh included even more exotic delicacies like crayfish eel and even porpoise Ugh, it's kind of weird and apparently in terms of drinks, obviously there was a lot of ale and spiced cider were also um, the kind of go-to drink of choice for many commoners, um, while lords uh, and the more higher up classes would drink tons and tons of wine. And apparently in just one year, Henry III ordered 60 tons of wine for the Reading Abbey, um, with one total being, yeah, 1,272 bottles of wine. That's a lot of wine, but I guess you're rich and you have a lot of friends and it's Christmas. We're going to go, going to go hard. So, um, there were other things because people were drinking so much and people were intoxicated pretty much the entire 12 days of Christmas. Um, what happened was a lot of different games and other ways to celebrate became a big part of the kind of medieval Christmas traditions. Um, and some of these even kind of harken back to the pagan customs uh, around the winter solstice. Uh, one of them is called mumming. And mumming was a popular Christmas pastime uh, in medieval English villagers. So it's kind of similar to carolers, but like a little creepier. So mummers would dress in animal masks or disguise themselves as women and then go door to door singing festive folk songs and telling jokes. Some did it for fun, while others expected a few coins or small gifts in exchange. And the animal masks may have been related to another strange Christmas tradition practiced by royalty, where they would have a parade um, throughout the feasting hall wearing whole animal heads that had been cooked. So if you can imagine like a boar's head, and apparently like, all I can think about is Joey in Friends when he, when he, or is it Joey or Monica when she has the turkey on her head? That's what I think of, um, turkey head. 
but apparently this was actually later replaced with wooden masks uh, to continue the tradition, but just like less gross. Um, in the middle of the 12 day celebrations of Christmas, there was also a Feast of Fools, which was held on January 1st, in which priests, deacons, and other church officials were given brief license to be silly, which is kind of fun. I like that. So role reversals were very popular during this time. Basically, so what would happen is the kind of more, they call them subdeacons. So the, the lower clergymen um, would deliver the sermons while the actual priests would forego. <laughs> Apparently, the minor clergy would wear their clothes inside out and then lead an ass, as in like a donkey, into church where upon arrival at the altar, they would burn incense made from old shoes, eat sausages, drink wine and make the sounds of a donkey i like this is just crazy like could you imagine you're like at your dinner table on christmas night like with your grandma you're just getting drunk and like making donkey sounds okay it's pretty interesting um apparently things got pretty out of control there is a 15th century french account um, that says priests and clerks may be seen wearing masks and monstrous, monstrous visages um, at the hours of office. They dance in the choir dressed as women, panders or minstrels. They sing wanton songs. They eat black puddings while the celebrant is saying mass. They play at dice. They run and leap through the church without a blush at their own shame. I genuinely cannot imagine what this experience would have been like, but I really wish I could have seen it. Like, you're just there, like, you know, our father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. And there's priests that are just, like, gambling and running around in weird masks or, like, dressed as women. I don't know. It's, like, a really cool medieval uh, Christian drag show. I don't know. It sounds really fun. Um, and then after that uh, January 1st celebration on the night of January 5th, this was the 12th night or the 12th tide. And that is when the holiday kind of um, came to an end. Um, and this is, of course, when um, what inspired Shakespeare, which is really cool. So Shakespeare's play Twelfth Night happens. Um, it was a play that was written to be performed on the 12th night of Christmas. And that's why there's the, um, the cross-dressing heroine and all the kind of practical jokes and mischief that goes on in that play is actually all stemmed from traditions that were already uh, happening in kind of, well, th this is getting into Elizabethan. He's hearkening back to a little bit earlier than the medieval um, Christmas celebrations. Uh, and the centerpiece of the 12th night celebration was apparently a bean cake, which was just a fruit cake. Um, and there was a tiny dried bean inside. And whoever got a um, the slice of cake with the bean in it was king for the night. Uh, and this is actually where the term Lord of Misrule comes from. So if you got the bean, you uh, were, and again, this was much, this was usually peasants and people of lower class. They became king, again, the Lord, the role reversal. They became king, they became the Lord of Misrule, and they had the power to upend entire social hierarchies and demand embarrassing tasks from authority figures. So if it was a child, you could tell your parent to do something silly or your school, like your teacher, your schoolmaster, and even your lord, which like, sounds pretty fun. Again, um, it's so crazy how this like time of year, everything just got turned upside down. I think that's really, really cool. Um, what's, 
screw presents. I want I want to be able to make my mom do silly things. I'm just kidding. I love you, mom. She's listening. I know she she listens to this podcast. So, <laughs> um, yeah. So twelfth night was uh, really the climax of two whole weeks of feasting and drinking, and being crazy and breaking all the rules. And that was your medieval Christmas. And then after those twelve days, you would be back to working on the farm. It's a, a pretty interesting, pretty interesting way to celebrate. There are also uh, other kind of more religious holidays that went on throughout the 12 days. Again, as much as this was a time of fun and festivities, there was, I mean, this is medieval Europe we're talking about, there was still a very, very heavy Christian undertone to everything. One of these was the Feast of the Holy Innocents, also called Childermas, on the 28th of December, and it commemorated King Herod's failed attempt in the Bible to murder the infant Jesus when he ordered the execution of all children in Bethlehem under two years of age. Weird. Um, <laughs> uh, and the church on this day, um, basically what they did was, again, similar to some of the other festivities, uh, the church would um, indulge in some tradition, again, in the uh, the festive role reversal. Uh, choir boys would take the place of the bishop and other higher clergy. So we've kind of talked a little bit about um, the different traditions that were celebrated throughout. I know I just kind of like skimmed through them. It wasn't some, like I didn't spend too much time going into in depth. Uh, it's more just kind of fun things that I found throughout my research. Um, but I guess uh, with all that, where does Christmas come from? So obviously we know Christmas, uh, first of all, what is Christmas? Christmas is the celebration of the birth of Jesus. Um, however, we know um, that Jesus was likely born in April, or it wouldn't have been called April back then, but April. Um, and basically, that leads us as historical thinkers to to question why why then did Christmas become Jesus's birthday? Why do we celebrate the birth of Christ on this day? And it has nothing to do with Christianity. It has everything to do with paganism. My favorite topic: how Christians have completely co-opted and stole from paganism so they could somehow make themselves look better while erasing paganism. Uh, it didn't work, but that's fine. So Christmas is celebrated on the 25th of December and it's a very, again, started as a sacred religious holiday and has since grown into this massive commercial phenomenon where people make millions of dollars and I don't know, like, so a lot of the things that we do today to celebrate Christmas actually come from pagan roots. Everything from decorating your Christmas tree to um, the symbol of the star, uh, to exchanging gifts, um, to the kind of focus on light, uh, like candles and things. Um, get, uh, what else? Uh, carols, all of these things, uh, mistletoe and holly. Those are all things that uh, come directly from paganism. So Christmas actually started long before it was called Christmas. Uh, the Norse called it Yule. Many people call it Yule. I still celebrate Yule. And the Yule is celebrated on the um, 21st of December. And this is actually the winter solstice. So this is the shortest night of the year. And for um, pagans, neo-pagans, um, that means that 
with the shortest night of the year that winter is coming to a close and the wheel of the year is starting to turn. So with the shortest night of the year, following that, the days become longer and longer and longer and the sun begins to come back to us. So for Yule, we actually celebrate the death of what we call the Holly King. So he is like the king of winter and the return of the Oak King or the Green Man, uh, who is the kind of lord of summertime. So that's why I actually really love Yule because it has such a beautiful significance, uh, again, of light and warmth and hope. I know this time of year is really difficult for a lot of us, myself included. And so being able to, you know, take that darkest, most dreary day and turn it into something hopeful and something inspiring, I think just, I really love. And so that's why I love celebrating Yule. Um, so a lot of things come from Yule, for example, the Yule log. So the Yule log basically, um, the Norse and other uh, European pagans did this as well. Uh, you would select a, they call it a log, it's more like a hole on tree. And uh, this is something that the, that the Christians in medieval Europe did as well. And you would bring that log inside and you would light it. And the goal was to have it burn for those 12 days of Yule or Christmas when you were celebrating. And once the Yule log burned down completely, then the feasting and the celebrating was over. Um, the Norse actually believed that each spark that came off that log would re represent a new pig or a calf that would be born during the coming year. So for the Norse and other pagans, uh, the end of December was actually also just a perfect time for celebrating. Um, at this time of year, most of the cattle were like mature enough and they were slaughtered. So because you couldn't feed them during the winter because all the crops were gone for until the spring. So they would have, this would be one of the only times that they would have fresh meat, uh, an abundance of fresh meat. And um, in addition, mostly wine and beer made during the year was finally fermented and ready to be drank. So what are you going to do? A bunch of people who got a bunch of fresh meat and a bunch of ready booze is you're going to celebrate. Similarly, in ancient Rome, so way outside of Europe, um, the... Uh, other, there's another pagan festival called Saturnalia. I'm sure you've heard of Saturnalia. Um, and it is also, was also during the same time of year on December 25th, when the Romans would celebrate and honor, um, Saturn, who's the god of agriculture. So beginning in the week leading up to the winter solstice and throughout the month, uh, Saturnalia was a hedonistic time when food and drink were plentiful and the normal Roman social order was turned upside down. So again, very similar to that Christian um, the medieval Christmas where you had all those role reversals. So at this time in ancient Rome, enslaved people were given temporary freedom and were treated as equals. I don't know how exactly that worked where one day you're like, you're a slave, but you're free. And then in two weeks, you got to come back. I'm, I'm not too sure. Uh, but I think it's very interesting. And businesses and schools were also closed so that everyone could participate in all of the festivities around. So the Romans also observed Juvenalia, um, which was the winter solstice. And this was actually a feast honoring the children of Rome, very similar to mm, honoring the child Jesus Christ. And in addition, uh, members of the upper classes also celebrated the birthday of Mithra, who's the, the god of the unconquerable sun on December 25th. Um, and it was actually believed that Mithra was uh, an infant born, um, born out of rock. 
which is really interesting. So for many Romans, this was actually one of the most sacred days of the year, similar to how Christmas is one of the most sacred or I guess coveted days of the year today. So it's pretty obvious to see how uh, as Christianity was growing as um, a theology and I mean, as a, as a cultural movement, really, um, what happened was uh, because they wanted to um, kind of get as many people to convert to Christianity as possible, they implemented Christmas by simpler, simply uh, taking over the pagan holidays and making them Christian. So a holiday that once was about celebrating the birth and the return of the sun, S-U-N, became a holiday celebrating the birth of the son, S-O-N, Jesus Christ. And that's why we have Jesus's birthday on the 25th of December, even though he was never historically, from what we know, he was not born in December, not anywhere close. So I think that's a very interesting kind of start to it. Um, and so basically all, as that happened, all of these other pagan traditions like mistletoe, um, which was used as a symbol of fertility and good fortune, and you were supposed to, again, kind of, as we do now, kiss under it. Um, that was a sim that was something used by pagans. Holly is used as a symbol of good fortune and, again, represents the Holly King, who is the god of the winter time and of the darker months. Um, became a symbol. The Christmas tree as well represents the Yule log. It represents bringing inside greenery, um, which we all still do today with all of the, the beautiful evergreens that we have around us to represent the return of the spring and that hopeful triumphant return of the sun as he comes um, as the days get longer and longer. So all of those things became convoluted and uh, made Christian. So next time you're thinking, you know, you're Maybe you're putting up your Christmas tree still, or you're putting it away, or you see holly or mistletoe or any of those things. Um, you see a star on top of the tree. <laughs> like, uh, it's it's totally pagan. And I mean, like, if that makes you uncomfortable, that's fine. Um, but it is what it is if we think historically about it. So it's really cool. It's neat to see um, how these traditions kind of evolved um, throughout time. And I think it's really cool in the age of consumerism. And I'm sorry, this is a really nihilistic take on Christmas. I'm so sorry. But <laughs> it's true. Like, um, it, it really helps, at least it helps me um, not to focus so much on the presents and spending the money and, you know, will they like it and all those kind of things. Like, what's really important is the traditions and... It makes me feel close to my ancestors. It brings me a lot of joy to do something that generations of people in the past have done. Um, and I think that's more important than presence. And yeah, I think that's what really matters. So hopefully that was a positive way to leave this episode. Um, I really enjoyed it. I hope you did too. But before I leave you, of course, I have some holiday wishes uh, from Katie, Patrick, and Robin. And you will hear them right now with the magic of editing. Hey everyone, this is Robin. 
I just want to say thank you so much for such an amazing year, for sticking around with us, for listening to our episodes, commenting, sending us messages. It's been such an amazing journey and I'm so thankful for every one of you. And I hope you have such an amazing winter break and holidays with your family and friends. This year, I love to reflect on the great times we had in our podcast. My personal favorite episode this year was our Shakespeare in Love episode. As much as that movie bothered me, like I mentioned before, I had so much fun discussing it with uh, Liz and Patrick. I can't wait for our next turn to roasting historical movies. It was so fun using our historical knowledge for the sake of justice, for Shakespeare, for all of us who enjoy English literature and the Elizabethan era. So I can't wait to revisit that again with our next movie. So now I'd love to share some bonus content with you. Uh, I'd love to talk about two Christmas myths that I, I find absolutely interesting. So the first myth is this idea that the image of Santa Claus wearing this red suit being a fat jolly old man comes from Coca-Cola ads in the 1930s. So while it's true that Coca-Cola used these ads in the 1930s to promote the drink during the Great Depression and have people begin to connect this cold drink that's typically not bought during the winter to Christmas, it is not where this image originates. It has been discovered that as early as the 1870s, American cartoonists were depicting Santa in this outfit that we all imagine him today. The red coat, red hat, with the fur lining, the buckled belt around his waist. So this is where this image truly came from. And even though it originated in the 1870s, it is probably true that it really gained popularity during the 1930s ad campaign for Coca-Cola. The second myth is a really interesting one. I've recently discovered that Jingle Bells was not originally a Christmas song. In fact, it was written as a Thanksgiving song with the original title of One Horse Open Sleigh. So this was used in the mid-19th century during Thanksgiving. The song was then re-released in 1857 under the new title that we all know today, Jingle Bells, and some of the lyrics were adapted to match a more Christmas theme. So those are two of my favorite myths that I wanted to share with you all. Perhaps they could be interesting conversation starters for you during the holiday season. So I want to thank you all very much again for such an amazing year, for listening in, participating, sending questions, sending comments on our posts, everything. I, I'm still, I still can't believe it. And I'm so beyond thankful for everyone who is joining this fun history community and is enjoying our content. So I hope you have a happy and safe holiday season you're able to relax and wind down and hopefully be recharged for a brand new year. Bye for now. Happy holidays, everybody. I hope you have a wonderful holiday, whatever you celebrate, a happy new year, however you can celebrate it. I hope you can celebrate it in some form way, whatever. This has been a great year.
we started the podcast this year. Like that's wild to me to the podcast is only 10 months old. Think about that. Do I have a favorite moment this year? I'm sorry if you can hear my furnace in the background. I am, uh, I've moved as you guys know. I know I'm supposed to be thinking about a favorite moment this year. Oh man, there's just too many to count. I honestly, I should have thought this before I clicked record, but I didn't. And I'm sorry that I can't think of a favorite moment. What am I looking forward to in 2022? More podcast episodes, obviously. Uh, Also, as I mentioned, I moved. So I'm looking forward to this new thing. I'm in Scotland, as Liz said. Sorry, I missed the last two episodes. I will be back. I promise my life is just like slightly chaotic. So I needed to take some time to myself to figure it all out. But I will be back with you episode after episode making weird comments and inopportune times. Don't worry. I have nothing else to say. Have a Merry Christmas. If you celebrate Christmas, have happy holidays. I know Hanukkah's already passed. Have a happy Kwanzaa. All of those good things. I hope you have a happy new year. If you're here in Scotland, I hope you enjoy Hogmanay however you can. And with that, I will see you on the flippity flop in 2022. How's it going, everybody? Patrick here. Just wanted to wish you all a very happy holiday, whatever holiday you're celebrating this month. Yeah, I hope it's a a wonderful time and a happy new year as we ring in 2020 soon as well. Gosh, so Liz told us to answer a few questions that she sent along, one of which being the favorite part of the podcast or or favorite podcast memory from the year. And there's been so many, but I think I, I gotta, God, I gotta settle on, on the first meeting we had when we decided to do a podcast in the first place. It was a lot of fun. It was great. It was a Zoom call as usual. And the four of us were just chatting. And, and I think it was Katie who brought up the idea of, you know, is that a left field? Why don't we try a podcast? That'll be fun. Why don't we do it? And I, my whole life, have wanted to do a podcast just because I'm that kind of person. But it was really exciting, the idea that we could actually pull it off. And and, and so we all agreed to do it. And, and just that really electric first meeting when we all just got to get together and talk to each other about doing this wild, wild thing and then actually doing it and, and, and the sort of follow through from what we decided to do. It was really, really wonderful. And it was really great being able to produce this podcast and have people actually listening to it and having so many people have it in their top five uh, podcasts of the year on Spotify, that sort of thing. I mean, the, the amount of attention that this podcast has gotten and, and the way it's taken off is is just phenomenal and, and mind boggling in every way. And so, I, I mean, yeah, I, I got to say that that is definitely my favorite podcast thing from this year is, is actually just doing one and having fun and being goofy with friends and having it actually be received really well by people. That is phenomenal and absolutely bonkers. So there's that. And then uh, the other question is asking me uh, what I'm looking most forward to in 2022. Well, especially in terms of the podcast, I think is doing a, an episode on superheroes. Uh, I've been a, a fan of superheroes for my whole life. Uh, major nerd, comic book fan uh, since I was a little, little kid. And I'm so excited at the prospect of being able to talk about some comic book history and uh, looking at the ways in which like comic books have influenced culture and all that sort of stuff. It'll be really interesting. Uh, I just picked up this really awesome book that came out this year that's all about the history of Marvel Comics and uh, exactly that topic and how comics were informed by sort of the, the, the history and moment in which they were written. 
some really, really cool stuff. So uh, I'm so excited to sort of delve into that topic and, and see if I can contain it only to at least a two episode uh, arc, but we'll see what happens with that. But that's me. I mean, thank you guys so much for, for listening to this podcast. I think that's really the main thing that I want to say here is, is uh, in addition to having a happy holiday and happy new year, uh, is just thank you that we've been doing this for a little under a year and we've gotten so much love and support. A lot of wonderful messages, uh, a lot of uh, wonderful sentiment from people. Uh, so many people really, really liking what we're doing. And, and that's just so heartwarming to, to hear and to feel. And so, yeah, so thanks. And uh, since Katie's not here, I'm going to do the honors and say, see you on the flippity flop. That was so fun. And with that, I wish you all a very happy holidays. We will be back. We are continuing season two, our very first episode of 2022. I'm sorry, what? 2022 is that's insane um is coming january 11th i believe so keep an eye out for that uh we actually have a very special guest joining us um a she's a phd candidate so i think you guys are really gonna enjoy that um and yeah i will see you in 2022 happy holidays happy new year please stay safe out there please get boosted get vaccinated and enjoy your holiday, no matter what you're celebrating, no matter what it is you believe in. If you're celebrating the S-U-N sun or the S-O-N sun, um, I hope it's amazing. So see ya on the flippity flop. Digital Dust is recorded on the traditional lands of the Anishinaabek, Haudenosaunee, Lanapawak, and Attawandaran peoples, on lands connected with the London Township and Somber Treaties of 1796 and the Dish with One Spoon Covenant Wampum. This land continues to be home to First Nations peoples, Métis people, and Inuit people, whom we recognize as the contemporary stewards of the land and waters we are on today. Digital Dust is hosted and produced by Elizabeth Edwards, Katie Gaskin, Patrick Kingen, and Robin Marshall. Sound design by Elizabeth Edwards. Audio transcription by Katie Gaskin. Our theme music is by Mattias Miller.